Okay, COVID doing work. Two four on my shirt. He the greatest on the court, and I'm the greatest on the verse. Going for the fourth ring like it was his first. Gotta get the gleam. Do it for Kareem. Two four so nice, my flow so mean. Catch me at the. Welcome game. back to Not Your Weekly Sports Pod. We've got another episode, another week, another baller on the show. Kale Hayes, my brother. He's a lawyer extraordinaire living out in liberal land, Portland, Oregon, witnessing the, dem- the demise of Damian Lillard's career. And he's going to join us. Also an OG Warriors fan from before they started being the Warriors that we know and hate. Um, it's going to be interesting to hear your takes, brother. Good to have you on the podcast. Glad to be back. It's been a while. It has. I think the last time we had you on, we did we talk football or we were talking uh, some Rockets hate? I think we were talking football because it was before all the uh, Deshaun Watson stuff went down because we were debating where he uh, ranks in the QB pantheon. Yeah, how how that conversation has aged so gracefully. And here we are, Deshaun Watson, probably not playing football this year or next year. Uh, but we are playing basketball, and basketball is back in full effect, man. And this is a really, really fun time to be talking basketball because I don't know if you agree or not, man. I think this is – one of the first times in my adult life that I can remember there being true parody in the NBA, right? You know, every year for my entire college existence, even like the latter years of high school, it was LeBron and the Heat or Popovich and Duncan are going to be in the finals or the Warriors are going to be in the finals or just straight up LeBron is going to be in the finals. So we have a time in the NBA where we're going to talk about a few teams and how parody has contributed to those teams being headline uh, titles in this wonderful episode we have. But before we get into that, Kale, as always for the listeners, you guys can find us on social media. Find us on Twitter at NotWeeklyPod. We've got all the links to our episodes there. You can even follow me at The Real Volleyball. Don't be mistaken for the fake one. I've got all our content on there as well. Um, And we open this episode as we always do with some trivia for the listeners. Kale, I've like really toned down the difficulty of the trivia because my guests started complaining and started sweating much the way you would see me sweat during warmups in an intramural game or just walking to class at Houston Baptist because of the sweaty machine that I am. They started sweating these questions. So I toned the difficulty down. We threw some softballs at them and we're back to throwing the fastball at your torn labrum ready to go here. So I've got one for you, man. And it's about a player that you have orgasms about on a weekly basis. It's about Steph Curry. So in 2016, Steph Curry became the second player in NBA history to average 30 points a game on 65% true shooting. Kale, do you know who the first player to ever do so was? I'll give you a hint. He played in the 80s. Kale, do you know? I mean, I... I... I want to say Jordan, but I'm actually going to say, uh, was it Larry Bird? It was Adrian Dantley in 1984 for the Utah Jazz. One of the mo- or was it the Utah Nugget at the time? I can't remember. Um, but one of the most underrated scorers ever. I was going to say that is someone that I would not have picked. Curry did it again in 2021. He averaged 32 a game last year on 66% true shooting. Uh, this year, 
He's not on pace. He's scoring 28 a game on 64%. But who knows, man? Things can pick up. He's had a cool streak of late with just only 30-point games and not 50-point games with 23-pointers from half court. Yeah, he's, he's starting to show his age. It looks like he's about to fall off the cliff. So, bro, I bring Steph Curry into the equation because the Warriors are actually one of the teams we're going to talk about here. Uh, and we're going to talk about how parity has played a part of this season, right? There were the teams I know we discussed before the basketball season started, teams we were kind of like looking out for, what we thought about them, the players on them that, you know, <laughs> we, we have a pretty good track record of talking about uh, and criticizing and just how they factored into the team's success or lack of, like we'll get to with the Lakers. Um, so let's open this up, man. Let's talk about this is a team that has so many pieces that we need to unpackage, man. Talk to me about the Los Angeles Lakers. This is the team that, again, everyone kind of before the season started, they were the picks out West. Uh, we threw shade on the Suns' name without even really recognizing it and not giving them the respect they deserve. And they've, they've been, I mean, one of the best teams in the West. So before we get to the Suns and the surprising good teams in the West, let's talk about the Lakers, man. Just give me your opening thoughts on La La Land and the team run by the greatest player in NBA history, LeBron James? Well, I'm not going to go into the LeBron thing because with, uh, yeah, you already know my we, we could. positions on LeBron and Jordan. Okay. Um, but as for the Lakers, they're a massive disappointment to a lot of people, but at least in my eyes, this is kind of what I saw coming. Uh, they don't have any shooting, so there's really not any spacing on the court. Hey, Kendrick was, Nunn. Kendrick Nunn will be back soon. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm sure he's going to light it up for 35 points a game. Um, but it, it, I don't understand what they did in the offseason by bringing in Westbrook. This is a team that has to have shooting. And they went out and traded for a bunch of pivotal role players, traded a bunch of pivotal role players for the worst volume three-point shooter in history. So all they've done is caused themselves more issues, which is evident that lane is crowded. Uh, I mean, you look at any of the games that they're playing, they don't really have any spacing. Everyone's just kind of sagging off and playing more in the lanes and there's just no room. Uh, so it's, it's not surprising to see that they're just kind of middle of the pack in the West. I'm going to do, okay. I, um, so many thoughts. There's going to be Laker fans that hear what you just said and their reaction, their knee jerk is going to be, you're a casual, right? That this is, it's, these are the lines that have been sputtered by Stephen A. Smith and they've been kind of thrown around on Twitter and recycled in various ways. I'm going to defend that crowd for a second, but I, I agree with you with the bulk of what you're saying, but let me try to defend the Lakers for a second here. This team last year in the playoffs, you know, first round exit, massively disappointing, right? Is there any argument? Is there any doubt that in the depleted Western conference that we saw last year, a healthy LeBron James and Anthony Davis win the championship, regardless of who's around them? I mean, there's, there's a strong argument to be made for that. Yeah. So the whole point of the roster building experiment that LeBron went through this offseason, and I say LeBron because LeBron is the daddy of L.A. at this point. He runs that team. There's no doubt about it. 
the thing that LeBron went through is bringing in guys that can maximize their regular season usage, take the load off LeBron and AD and allow them to be fresh in April, in May, in June, in winning time, as they call it. And what greater player, you know, what more frustrating player, true, but what greater player is there than Russell Westbrook in that regard? A high usage guy during the regular season that up until last year with Washington, I mean, Russell Westbrook never missed games, right? He was an iron man. Sure, he'd go and get his knee scoped out damn near every offseason when he was in OKC, but Russell Westbrook, when it came to your best ability is availability, Russell Westbrook was tier one in that regard. And, you know, for a guy who can have a high usage rate, who can take over the playmaking duties, who can kind of run your offense in the half court, initiate some fast break stuff. And sure, you know, of course, he's a turnover machine. He dribbles the ball off his own foot in the fourth quarter and he can't space your offense worth of shit. And there's going to be some realities that we have to face when it comes postseason time with Russell Westbrook's playability in winning time lineups. Um, but I don't think that's what the Lakers are concerned with. They're concerned with, hey, LeBron James is 37 years old, coming off multiple injuries in a career that hasn't featured any major injuries. And Anthony Davis doesn't look like a top 10 guy in this league anymore. Let's get a guy that can allow LeBron to be LeBron in May. And that's what we're going to put our money on. And I think that's what the Lakers are going for, man. I don't think we've seen the final form of Russell Westbrook on this team. I don't think we know exactly what this team is fully healthy yet. There's a lot of pieces missing and LeBron's missed some time as well. Um, And so I think for what they're trying to do, They've been underwhelming, but I'm not on the, I'm not in the group of fans yet who's willing to jump off a cliff. I've got a pretty hot take uh, with that because I do think this team hasn't seen its final form yet. I think Russell Westbrook gets traded at the deadline for a shooter. Wow. Wow. Um, But I I disagree. So, and this is something that has come back and it, it kind of bit the Warriors in whenever they went into playoff mode, whenever we had Durant, is you sit your top players so often throughout the season, but they never really feel like they've fully engaged, like they've got to the peak of their game. And so they're struggling at the beginning of the playoffs or in the middle of the playoffs to really find that form because they didn't find it during the season. They just didn't play enough. They, they didn't keep that sustained high level of play. And it showed with the Warriors' kind of struggles in the the second round and the Western Conference Finals um, that they had against the Rockets. They just – they really hadn't been pushed, especially the big players during the season. And so they just – they didn't really have that high level of game that they could pull out of their ass at the last second. Um, I mean, they did, but it was due to really sheer injury luck. Um, but with with the Lakers, I mean, I don't know. LeBron just – he hasn't looked good when he's played. AD hasn't looked good when he's played. And so you're, you're asking somebody that hasn't looked good this whole season to then try to look good in a very small window in the playoffs where, you know, three losses or four losses and you're out. So you've got a, an even more compressed timeline to try to get better. So I think that's going to backfire against them. And the issue that they have is when they're not playing well, everybody's just going to come down in the paint and then you've got Westbrook on the floor. Westbrook can't shoot. So you've got three guys on the floor and LeBron, AD and Westbrook that really don't shoot threes. 
So, I, I mean, you've really marginalized your offense. In today's offense, if you don't have at least three shooters on the floor, you're not winning a lot of games. And so I, unless the, the Lakers find shooting, and I think it's going to have to be getting rid of Westbrook because there's nobody else on the team that's really going to shoot. I think Talon Horton Tucker is kind of an eighth guy on a bench. I don't think that he can handle massively the, over massively overrated by Laker fans. I, I don't think that he can handle uh, efficiently the amount of shooting that the Lakers need. I mean, we already know what Malik Monk is. Wayne Ellington is way too old and Kendrick Nunn, I think is too, uh, he's going to be too limited by his injury to be quick enough to get himself the space that's needed. And so I just I, – I don't really see much more than mediocrity from this Lakers team unless they get another shooter or two. I think the, the saving grace for them is going to end up being just one thing, right? And, and this is a, a question you're going to have to answer, Kale. You know, where is LeBron James in the tier of superstars in the NBA? Or rather, I guess the important question should be where will he be in May? Before the season started, we did a tier superstar podcast where my tier one of superstars is still KD, Giannis, and right on the fringe, right on the bottom of that tier one, I still had LeBron James in there with tier two being featured by James Harden, Steph Curry, and Kawhi Leonard. Is LeBron James still in that tier one, or do you think he's dropping out at tier two, maybe tier three level of play? I he's missed, he's missed time so far, so I don't think we know yet. But what's your anticipation? Um, he just he hasn't looked the same, LeBron, and you're you're seeing it, and you can tell it. At least for me, the way that I judge it is by the way that he reacts on the court. Uh, LeBron is not one that has really tended to show a lot of frustration towards other teammates in his career. Otherwise, I mean, his career highlights would be nothing but frustration considering that first round of, you know, shit show that he carried in Cleveland. Um, and, but he's become a lot more animated as of recently. And I think that's because he's, he doesn't have the, the fast twitch and those reactions that he used to. And so his passes aren't, where he normally is able to put them. They're coming back a little behind. Uh, he doesn't have that burst that he used to to really get in the lane and just blow by people. Uh, his shooting percentages have dropped. He's not able to uh, to finish in that mid-range three-point area like he, he did for a long time. Um, and it's hampering the team while you've got Steph Curry, who, I mean, it, it speaks for himself. I've being a diehard Warriors fan, I fear that maybe at best we could be fifth this year. Uh, but what he's done so far has been phenomenal. We can get into that later. But yeah. I, I think you were starting to see LeBron slightly descend from that pantheon of the greatest into the league to to slowly kind of coming down to what we saw with uh, with Peyton Manning, just kind of a, a slow fall off. Uh, granted, I don't think he's going to have that fall off that Manning did from being a pro bowl to, you know, barely being a replacement level starter, but it, it looks like all the minutes have finally started to take a toll. Yeah. I, I mean, you're right. The numbers, you know, they, they tell the story, right? This is his lowest field goal percentage 
since his rookie year. LeBron's always been a true shooting percentage and a PER machine with some of the all-time numbers. You know, lowest point per game since his rookie year other than last year. His rebound, his assists are down. And again, I, I, don't, I think LeBron recognizes this. I don't think it necessarily frustrates him because I think he recognizes that the playoffs – are the only thing that matter in, in the legacy of a 37 year old player, you know, it'd be great to have another MVP under his belt, but I, I think he recognizes that that timeline, that window has kind of closed. So we'll see, man. I, I still, I'm not going to bet against LeBron. I'm just, I'm here until he proves me wrong. I still think he's a tier one guy. Um, but yeah, if we want to get into Steph territory, we definitely will in a second. Hey, I'm going to throw a trade at you here and tell me how this fit works. And then we'll move on from the Lakers Russell Westbrook to the Sacramento Kings for Buddy Heald. Straight up, Lakers get the shooter they want. Uh, the Sacramento Kings get a usage guy that will be a dead contract after the season. Uh, open up cap space for, you know, the eventual 16th rebuild they have to do since the Rick Adelman era in Sacramento. And the Lakers get the spacing that they need in a, in a prime player in Buddy Heald, who is an elite shooter by all regards. I mean, that's the trade that they should have done in the offseason instead yeah. of for Westbrook. Uh, yeah. I mean, it makes all the sense in the world. The only thing I don't know is if you can make their salaries match. I think you're going to have to throw in some uh, some other players on the Lakers side to make it match because Westbrook is, what, is is he in mid-40s? And I think he'll maybe high 20s. Yeah, there would have to be some salary work. You have to do a little ESPN trade machine on them. But that's the exact trade that they need. It's the trade that they should have made. And I think that they're going to end up being even further worse off uh, as a team going forward because, uh, I mean, it's another year that's probably going to be wasted of LeBron. It doesn't look like their chemistry is really getting together. Uh, as you touched on earlier, AD looks completely checked out. Uh, I, I mean, it crazy to, to me, I know that this is probably a, a – kind of uh, a comparison way out of left field because it's crossing sports uh, and he didn't get a title, but it's, it's kind of like AD had that great year with the Lakers to win the championship, then get paid. And he's kind of gone like a Richard Hidalgo. I know that is a way old throwback to the Astros when they, they first moved into the, back then Enron, but the juice box, uh, he and uh, Jeff Bagwell were having like the, Huge years battling for the Astros' uh, single-season home run record. I think Hidalgo hit like 45, then got paid, and uh, Astros traded him two years later because he batted like mid mid 260s with maybe 20 home runs. So it it, it just seems like AD has just checked out. He'd rather kind of be a a socialite. He got his bag, he got his title, and he's good. Remember, you know, in the New Orleans days when we were having the conversation about, oh, is AD one of the three best players in basketball? You know, is he a guy? Is he one of those cornerstone guys? And all that culminated in him never really leading a team in New Orleans past anything further than the second round. A New Orleans team that had a few pieces, right? They had a season with Drew Holiday, Eric Gordon, Ryan Anderson, some other guys down there uh, in. New Orleans that led to some playoff berths, but ultimately led to, you know, a lack of playoff success and a lack of any notable playoff highlight moments from AD. We had a bubble run that was incredible from him, but what has he been other than that for a guy who's supposed to be one of the perennial top 10 guys in the NBA? He's just, 
he's just not a leader. He he just doesn't have that air of he's going to lead you to victory. He kind of just shrinks away in the big moments. He, I don't know. It's weird to say because if you're talking talent-wise, AD is a more talented version of Kevin Garnett. And, I mean, if you were to ask pretty much anybody, I think they would universally say, I'm taking Garnett over AD. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's, that's a, <laughs> we have to think about that one. I have to take some notes on that one. We'll revisit this topic another day, but I mean, with the way K- he's looking. KG led the most, I don't know, maybe they're tied for the most, if not that second most dysfunctional franchise to playoffs. Like yeah. you can't tell me the last time outside of his years there that the Timberwolves was functional. Yeah, I mean, the team he led to the Western Conference Finals with Latrell Sprewell and Sam Cassell, like no true second superstar going against the Lakers super team with Shaq, Malone, Peyton, Kobe, all those guys together. Um, and he did it by himself. And, you know, all, all his playoff failures in Minnesota were not by any means a fault of his, but it was institutional failure. Yeah, and, and I would feel safe saying that uh, AD has never been able to do what Garnett was able to do with the team. We saw, as you said, a pretty talented Pelicans team that was never a threat to do much. Yeah. So we'll see, man. Lakers, I know they were the picks before the season started to be there at the end of the year. I still think they're going to be one of the last teams standing in the West, but I do not have the Lakers coming out of the Western Conference. As it stands right now, one-fifth of the season uh, done, that could change. You know, obviously it's changed already from preseason point until now, but we'll see, man. One of the other teams we have to talk about before we get to the Warriors is the Phoenix Suns. Let's talk on them real quick because Phoenix, man, people really, people really, really, really slept on Phoenix before the season started stating that, you know, their, their finals run was kind of an asterisk because of the teams, the depleted teams they had to face. They didn't really get anyone at their full strength. And then they got the Bucks in the finals and, you know, they showed who they were in those finals games where, you know, Devin Booker, even with back-to-back 40-point performances, they couldn't pull out any wins in Milwaukee. So Phoenix has looked like, and I said this before the season started, Phoenix is the team built for the regular season, I think. Veteran leadership in Chris Paul, who is managed perfectly with a supporting cast of young guys and guys that are really trying to, you know, guys with chips on their shoulder trying to prove something. DeAndre Ayton didn't get the contract he wanted in the summer, didn't get the extension when all his contemporaries got those max, super max rookie extensions. Um, and so he's looked like he's been on a mission. Devin Booker, despite doing what he did on the forum that he did it in, still isn't regarded as a top 10 guy in the NBA. He's looked like he's been motivated. And then, of course, you've got the supporting cast guys and Bridges and Crowder and, you know, a team that I think is one of the only teams out West other than the Warriors that truly complement each other, right? We talked about how the fit in L.A. was so bad. What perfect, you know, dichotomy is there between two teams than to throw the one between L.A. and Phoenix and the way Phoenix has built this roster out? Yeah, this Phoenix team reminds me a lot of the the prime Steve Nash, Amari Stoudemire, Joe Johnson sons. Like they, uh, they just they have the look. Um, 
but I think that they are going to make a deep run into the playoffs. I've, I've got them going to the, uh, the Western Conference Finals. Um, I, last year, we figured they'd show who they were. They were young. Uh, they were not expected to make that run. They did it anyways. And against a more seasoned team that had more veterans, that was expected. But now you can say they've, they've had their experience. They know what they need to do in the moment. And, uh, I mean, that team just – they are built around all the right pieces. Uh, I mean, it, it really reminds me of that Steve Nash Phoenix team, and I think they're actually better. Yeah, I mean, if – you know, if that Steve Nash Phoenix team kept Joe Johnson when Robert Sarver's cheap ass let him go after that first year of success under D'Antoni, um, we could be comparing them to this Suns team right now. But, you know, the thing that they lacked – in terms of roster building on those Nash led Suns team was the perimeter playmaker that could truly score and get his own bucket, right? Your proto shooting guard, small forward kind of guy. Well, you've, you had Joe Johnson, but he, Joe Johnson was more of your mid range guy. He's not Devin Booker. I would say Devin Booker is more talented than Joe Johnson was. Yeah, I mean, and let's be clear, there is no Devin Booker in the early 2000s, right? A guy, a shooting guard that averages six threes a game, attempted 41% from there, that can score in the variety of ways that Devin Booker can score. Devin Booker, as it stands right now, is a top three shooting guard in basketball. Um, But, you know, the only thing comparable to Devin Booker in 2005, 2006 is Kobe Bryant. And there's not even anyone close. So it only speaks to the level of talent that the league has today, right? Agreed. And, and I mean, difference in the how fast offenses are run. Uh, I mean, Phoenix is was Phoenix is as fast as even like a middle ranked team in the NBA today in pace of play or I, I no. haven't. No, they, they would they would not. And in terms of three point attempts either, they, they wouldn't even be a middle tier team. They'd be a bottom tier team. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's tough to say kind of how the, the league has adapted and what offenses look like now as to what you would say, but I, I would still even say if, if you put Devin Booker or you put Joe Johnson in this type of environment with uh, the skill level that he had at that time, I still don't think he'd reach Devin Booker's level. So you've got an overall more talented team. I, uh, I think Aiton is going to blossom. I think he's got a chance to be – Kind of a, a Dwight Howard, LaMarcus Albert, Aldridge hybrid. Uh, he's got enough touch that he could learn to have a pretty good 15-foot ga- uh, jump shot game. And you get that happening and you actually pay him. I mean, with CP3 leading that and just – I think that this has just showed what a phenomenal leader CP3 is. He doesn't get enough credit for it. Um, I mean, I know the playoffs is the playoffs, but he – every team that he's on is a winner. And I mean, he took a team that was supposed to be borderline playoffs last year, took them to the finals. And then this year it got them out of that terrible start that they had. They look, they look everything like a Western conference leader. Yeah. They're 17 and three second in the West only because the Warriors are looking unreal. Uh, and like you said, man, Chris Paul, 30, he's what, 36 now? He's 37? What is he? I think he's, I think he's 37. <laughs> he's the greatest old man point guard in the history of the NBA. I feel pretty confident 
in saying that. He's 36 going on 37. You know, as far as like point guards that are six feet tall and under, their games never age gracefully. And I think Chris Paul is the greatest in that regard for short man point guard game evolving. He's averaging 14 and 10, a five to one assist to turnover ratio, pretty good splits, not the best of his career, but I mean, for a 36 year old guy, who's the secondary offensive option on a team that's looking like they're going to be one of the best offensive teams in the league. That's pretty damn impressive, man. Well, so he's Chris, up to, he's up to steals up to two steals a game. Yeah. I mean, still, these young still guys a tier are, one defender. are getting the ball snatched by this old man. He's, he's vegan, but, you know, the vegans have cookies, too, and he's taking all the vegan cookies from the fucking point guards in the other backcourt. Uh, I mean, they, they look legit. They are legit. I, I, I think that they – it's tough. I, I love my Warriors, but, man, if, if you're putting them with the youth that we have that's not as tested up against that, that Suns team, I think that's a, that's a seven-game battle. I agree. So there you go, Phoenix. There's your little love. I don't know if you guys are going to make it out of the West. I think you're the second best team in the West, but you had a good run, right? For, for a cheap owner, you're probably the best sports franchise run by a cheap, horrible owner. So there's that. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to dive into what Sacramento has done and all the talent that they've wasted, but that's, that's a five hour podcast itself. Yeah, we can do that another time. I'm down for the greatest tragedy in sports. Let's talk about your team, man. Here we go. The moment you've been waiting for, Kale. You're, there's got, <laughs> I've shit on Steph Curry for so long as a Houston Rockets fan. I've made arguments against him. I've downplayed his greatness. Let's do it, man. Golden State Warriors, just just go. Just run. I I don't know what to say other than uh, Steph Curry is we we know what he is as a shooter, but now we're seeing truly what he is as a leader, and uh, I mean as a teammate, it's it's hard for me to really compare what Steph does and what Steph means to anybody else that I've seen or stats that I've looked at because. I mean, you've got the greats, the the greatest. Your uh, Jordans, your LeBrons, your Magics. That they were so good that they made the other people on their team better because of their greatness. And I think Steph not only does that, but he makes you an overall better player. Period. It's it's not that his just gravity and what he's able to do gives you more open shots. It's the fact that his leadership and the culture that the Warriors have are making players better all around. I mean, he, he's the modern, you know, if there's any way to connect this to my fandom of the early 2000s, he is the modern Tim Duncan, right? He is one player that can transform the culture of an entire franchise and be the accountability piece that you need without another coach, without another superstar, just by having him in your locker room. Yeah, I, I mean, what he does, but it's also, like, I'd love to be in the Warriors' practices and, and the team meetings to see how those work because, I mean, that was the knock on Clay coming in. Clay couldn't do anything other than spot-up shoot and play defense. Yet, as they've gotten older together, Clay is, well, uh, I mean, the last two years don't count. But before that, uh, Clay was able to start finally creating off the dribble. 
and he started mimicking some of the moves that Curry makes to get himself space to create off the dribble. He was no longer just a guy you had to watch for in the corner at the top of uh, the arc. He was a guy you had to watch out for and actually respect the dribble. And you're also seeing the same thing Jordan Poole. I mean, people were questioning that draft pick to begin with, and then one of the worst rookie seasons that I've seen uh, in his rookie season was when Steph wasn't there. He just looked lost. And ever since Steph has come back, you've seen this progression to now it's like, as a Warriors fan, do we keep Jordan Poole in the starting unit and honestly leave Clay in the second unit? Because that's how good Jordan Poole has gotten. He's not just better because of Steph's gravity. He's become a better player overall. It's something that I don't know really who I could compare that to because I mean, you, you look at the teams that LeBron had and, you know, those, those players were good. Um, but it was like a, their shooting percentages would pump. You didn't really see a peak in like rebounds or assist or, or like different de- uh, defensive stats with them, but their, their percentages would go up. But with Curry, I, I mean, look at Wiggins. Wiggins was just this throwaway and people were like, oh, he's a waste. And now, as a Warriors fan in the rest of the league, Wiggins looks like he's starting to finally reach the potential that everyone thought was gone. His biggest knock in Minnesota was that he refused to play defense and he's one of the best defenders in the league. And it looks like he's finally figured out his shot. Like it's, it's been really fun to see what the Warriors have done. And without Steph Curry, I don't think you'd see any of these players have the, the career or mature the way that they are. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm willing to go this far and say that Steph Curry's probably the most impactful basketball player I've ever seen in my entire life. The way he impacts the game on the ball, off the ball as just a spot-up guy, off the ball as a cutter, off the ball as a screener, the gravity that he demands from a defensive set. Just because of the way the game is played today, I don't think there's anyone that comes even close to the impact that Steph had for his time. The only argument you can make against him is that that impact doesn't extend to the defensive side of the court. And you have guys like LeBron and MJ who truly, you know, changed the way that offenses had to run because of their presence on the defensive end. Um, But I think what Steph does offensively as a three level score, you know, is able to compensate for that lack of the defensive portfolio. Well, uh, Steph has actually uh, – this year, I, I know it's we're saying an improvement on his defense. It wasn't great to start with, but he's up to 1.6 steals a game, uh, which is something he hasn't done since 2017, 2018. He's a great team defender, too. He communicates. You know, he tries. He gives effort. So he's not a negative on the defensive end. Let me let me clarify that. It, yeah, he'll never make an All NBA team, but he's up to point six blocks a game. That's the highest of his career. He's he's gotten better at it. He's never someone that's going to be great with it because of the demand that it it puts it with how you have to play defense in his ankle structure. It just doesn't work the same way as it does on offense and what you're able to do going forwards as compared to backwards so there's a difference there but you know he's no longer a detriment he's no longer a guy that you have to hide 
Uh, he's not going to be someone that you're going to say, all right, you got to shut down Dame, but you could put him on CJ and say, all right, go handle CJ. And I think he could do a pretty commendable job. I don't know, man. See, a, a elite scorer like CJ, I'd still be hesitant to have Steph one-on-one in the, on an island. Um, but still. I don't know that I'd say CJ is an elite scorer. I'd put him in the, the realm of um, – Bro, CJ, CJ McCollum is an elite scorer. Dude, watching him at the Portland games up here, he's become a volume guy. He's he's not what he was back in the 2017 to 2019 time frame. He's, he's cooked. He's looked that bad for them this year? He has not looked good, dude. He is it's, – it's been bad. That's why Portland's just kind of a, a middle ground. Like okay. they just – well, we'll talk about Portland later. Yeah, That's his, a disappointing his team. PER this year's barely touching seventeen. Yeah, I didn't know his splits were this far down. I mean, these are career lows for him, dating back to his rookie year when he was a bench guy. So, yeah, yeah that so Portland that Portland experiment needs to get blown up. It should have gotten blown up, but he can. I would say CJ's like a he's a a low end second option. That's what I would classify him. So that's what I would say. Steph could guard. Is he going to guard a, a top two option? No, but can he guard somebody on the on the lower end? I think he can. So I guess while we're still here on the West, this will be the last team we talk about before we round things out with the Rockets at the very end of the podcast for any loyal Rockets fans listening. I guess let's just go ahead and talk about the Blazers. Last team in the West, this is not a team that I'm particularly interested in, but you living out there in Portland and kind of going through one of the more interesting superstar, one of the last superstars who truly wanted to stick with one NBA team his entire career and how we're starting to see the disillusionment that's starting to settle into Damian Lillard and his time in Portland. Just tell me about what that's been like, man. And what do you think about this team? Uh, A lot of it living up here and finding out more. Neil O'Shea is a God awful GM. He's just dog shit. Uh, And then it, it doesn't help that, you know, you've got Jody Allen owning the team, um, you know, when Paul was around, he had an interest and and he had a hand in trying to build the team and Jody doesn't give a shit. She's just owning the team until there's going to be the, the Seattle expansion, because I think, I think it's each team then gets 250 or 500 million in cash whenever the expansion hits. And so she's holding on to that and then she she'll cash out. It'll, she's got no interest in it. And so you've, you've got an owner that has no interest in the team. You've got a GM that's just there for appearances and is known to be a giant asshole. Uh, And it's created kind of this environment of, I don't know. It's just their complacency, I, I guess is the best to say. You're, you're wasting one of the top shooting – I don't know that I'd classify Dame as a point guard, really. I think he's more of a shooting guard. But one of the top point guard shooting guards in the past 25 years, uh, it, it, just because you're, you're trying to be loyal to a team and it's, it's not working out. There's just it's got all the makings of the Trailblazers are slowly falling into being the kings. Yeah, they're falling into functional disarray. You've got talent that doesn't fit, but you treat, keep trying to make it fit. And so you've got Damian Lillard, who is halfway he halfway he looks like he wants to be in Portland, and the other half looks like he's trying to play like shit so he can demand a trade to New York. 
That's the perfect place. Yeah. I mean, Dame in New York, that's, that's, I think that's a title contender. I don't know that I go title contender because they still don't have much on defense outside of Mitchell Robinson. Um, and then you'd have three sieves, defensive sieves in the way of RJ Barrett, uh, Julius Randall, and Dame. And so that's, you're asking for the issues that you're seeing right now in Portland of having Nurk uh, try to handle everything in the paint. And Nurk's fouling out in 24 minutes because there's nobody uh, in the backcourt that can stop anybody from getting to the paint. Um, yeah, I, I, always, I always wondered what. Damian Lillard and LaMarcus Aldridge had they stayed together and built that team out would have looked like in the Western Conference landscape during the Warriors dominance I don't think it gets you anywhere especially given the Warriors propensity to attack the pick and roll and Aldridge's weakness in that regard but you know Lillard's been a guy that I've always wanted to see paired with a star level front court player and bro what a fun combo Julius Randle and Damian Lillard at least would be to see in Madison Square Garden. That's a that's a dream pairing waiting to happen. I think you know, for Lillard, I just I don't know because Randle doesn't play the paint as hard as I'd like. I want to see a um, a Joel Embiid Damian say, Lillard pairing. That yeah. would be the ultimate pairing. If if you want Lillard to win a ring, I think the 76ers is the the choice the natural but it, it, that's i think what's what it's looking like is, is you, you've got to make a decision here you trade cj and you've got to trade him fast because it, dame is going to make a decision right before the, the trade deadline and he's gonna he'll probably say it because it, he's out he's a free agent after this year right or does he have two more years are you talking about dame or cj dame yeah, I think he's a free – I think his contract's up this year. I could be wrong, though. I, I don't know, but I think he'd be one that would do Portland favors and say, look, this isn't what I want. Let's go to the trade deadline. Let's see how much you can get back for me. Um, or you trade CJ and you give up Anthony and Nasir and you try to pair him or, – or Nurk and you try to pair him with a good big. Like, I yeah. would actually love – I would think that you could make a trade like that to uh, to Dallas because it's it's time to blow up uh, Unicorn and um, Luca. They're just it's not working. We're both casuals. Uh, Dame signed a four year extension in 2019, so he's actually under contract till 2025. Oh yeah, well eh, he may hold out to the end of the year, but he just he doesn't look. Uh, he just doesn't have that interested look. He he's got that Carmelo in Denver look. He's he's ready for a change of scenery. Yeah. Let's go. Speaking of change of scenery, let's go out east, man. We spent enough time on the Western Conference teams. There's a couple. You don't of want to hit the Rockets. We'll come back to the Rockets at the very end. I don't think there's too many listeners for the general NBA who want to hear anything about a three and sixteen team, even though we should and we will. Um, talk about the Rockets on the back end of this pod, but let's talk about the Eastern teams. A couple teams in, ter- in the way of parity. The Nets, right? What is there another team that you could say has been so disappointing but so successful at the same time as the number one team out East in the Brooklyn Nets? Uh, I don't know. That that's a, a good question. I mean, the, the whole Kyrie saga. That's yeah. I'm not even going to dive into that. That's that's its own. Uh, issue uh, that you can drone on for hours on. Um, but James Harden, uh, I, I I don't know if it's just a 
if his Houston years, I, I, this is wrong, but I'll still say it. If his Houston years were predicated on being able to create the contact and get to the line so many times, and we're seeing what Harden really is without all those free throws, or if it's just the wear and tear that what he did in Houston has finally taken the toll on his body. But Okay, so let's focus on that, right? That's what it comes down to for the Nets. It's, hey, you don't have Kyrie, but theoretically, one of the two best basketball players in the world in Kevin Durant, and then a guy who's been a top five guy in the league for the last eight years in James Harden should still be enough to win you the conference, right? It should win it handily with the other talent that they have around. Right. But, of course, Harden hasn't looked like himself. He's posting career lows in field goal percentage. He's barely cracked 40% from the field, 36% from three, which is respectable. He's he's not even a 20 PER, is he? Oh, he just finally cracked it. Because for the lowest time, he was sitting at like 17 and a half. Yeah, he's starting to pick things back up. He's still averaging 20 points, nine assists, eight rebounds a game on decent-ish splits and a decent-ish true shooting percentage if he gets the field goal percentage up. But, yeah. You He's said it, down Harden's... five, five, three, five free throws a game from really his last full year in Houston, and I mean that's he, that's a substantial impact. He's been the biggest casualty of these rule changes so far. Now, as far as how that impacts his legacy and what he did with the Rockets, you take free throws completely away from him and every other player in the league. Those seasons where Harden led the league in scoring, and he's still the leading scorer by a large margin. So. I think what you're seeing out of him this year is one, a combination of frustration that he's having to adjust in these changes in the rules. And also, you know, James Harden's 32 years old, man. You can't, you know, when you're an elite athlete playing at a level like the professional level in the NBA, you can only get away with lack of preparation for so long when it comes to competing against your peers. And time and time again, as a Rockets fan, man, we saw James Harden come into the offseason out of shape, come into training camp and, you know, and miss entire training camps for injuries because he was so out of shape. And you're starting to see a 32-year-old guy who can't create separation for himself on a team that doesn't necessarily have the best spacing, doesn't have a single pick-and-roll lob threat like we've seen him be so, you know, complimentary with in his Houston days. And I think he's, his game suffers for the combination of reasons I just laid out. You know, I think yeah. he's still an elite talent, a top 10 guy in this league. And I think he's going to figure it out. I think he's going to – anytime you have a, a guy as good as Harden with the IQ that he has, he's going to figure out a way to make it work with another player like Kevin Durant. Um, but with that said, man, I don't know if the Nets are necessarily the favorites out east if you don't get a version of James Harden like the one we saw in Houston for so many years. I, I agree. And I, I think that this isn't, uh, we'll see him put it together. I think this is the backside of the cliff for Harden because the, the player that I really compare him to the most is one of my favorite players of all time and years as well as Tracy McGrady. I mean, McGrady had that block of years with the magic in the first couple with Houston where he was the NBA. I mean, he and Kobe were there and then, you know, he got an injury and because of his lack of effort and practices, just not in the NBA, but throughout his career, he wasn't able to get back to where he was. And I think you're seeing the same thing with Harden. Um, I agree that, you know, he still, Harden would have put up ridiculous lines, but a lot of teams, whenever he was getting so many free throws in Houston, 
were instructing their players, dude, just let him go by you. Give him two points instead of the two point and one. Or let him shoot the wide open three. Don't don't let him bait you into four free throws. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see, you know, if, if the NBA was called this way like it was back when he was with the Rockets, if there would have been that many kind of giveaway baskets because of the fear of the end one. Um, but overall, Harden, just he doesn't look in shape. And he honestly kind of looks disinterested. It's kind of uh, like someone we'll talk about later. He, he kind of is uh, seems on the same motivation level as Jason Tatum. Like they're they're out there solely for for themselves, and you know it, it, they kind of just become kind of like a, a sideline spectator, which has been a big knock on Harden whenever they're doing poor or they don't have the ball. And you're you're seeing that still in a worn down version of Harden and that kind of becomes a liability, especially when you're missing that extra guy on the bench in Kyrie and you can't really fill that spot. Yeah. Yeah. You bring up a good point with Tracy McGrady, right? Jeff Van Gundy has been on record saying multiple times, if Tracy McGrady took his training, his health as seriously as other aspects of his life, you would have been one of the 10 greatest players to ever play the game of basketball. Tracy McGrady could have been, not LeBron, not the LeBron that we know, but he could have been a version of LeBron. He had it. He had he been, everything. He could have been better. He could have been better than Kobe. I mean, he had all the traits that Kobe had. Plus, he was six foot eight and could create as a playmaker way better. And he was willing to create as a playmaker. That's really the difference. Could he score on par with Kobe? Yeah, he could. But he also was willing to pass the ball when needed. And now, I will I will push back, though, on your point of saying that James Harden reminisces you of, of Tracy McGrady. I don't think a guy without a work ethic can put up 26 points a game and seven assists a game for about nine straight seasons and never miss time. You know, he never missed games in Houston. The first signs of him ever missing games was really his first season in Brooklyn. True, but, I mean, you've also got, like, same thing with Randy Moss. Randy Moss was just kind of that mercurial character that didn't really put any effort into practice. Uh, and, you know, he just got by on sheer talent because he was that talented, I will say. And I know this is probably going to blow you away. James Harden is one of the physically most talented players in NBA history. It's not, yeah. you know, he doesn't have that athletic look to him. He doesn't really have, at least what I would say, that Russell Westbrook, John Wall burst. You know, he doesn't have the the handles that you would say that fluidity of uh, Steph Curry or Kyrie Irving, but he's got that elite, like, minute fast twitch that he's yeah, I mean, it's he's the deceleration, able. right? The deceleration is the elite trait, the elite athletic trait that he possesses that is, you know, he is the best at, or one of the best at in the NBA and has been during this stretch of time. Yeah, and, and you can look back in history, and I don't know too many players that are able to do what he has done as well as it. That's his athleticism, and that's kind of finally started to wane a little bit due to, to lackluster training, and it's kind of the same thing with Iverson. Iverson, fuck, if you want to talk about a guy that would have put effort into practice, shit. But, you know, once once he started getting injured a little bit, things didn't – he wasn't the same Iverson. You yeah, know, it's yeah. that's that's what practice does is practice is that work ethic that you're able to uh, derive what you go forward off of 
to be able to get back to where you were. And if you don't have that, then you don't know how to get back to where you were. You know how yeah. to put in work, but you don't know how to put in the effort that's needed to get back to where you were. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what James Harden turns into by the end of the year. He's already started to show signs of picking things back up in the last week or so, but there, his script is yet to be finalized. Brooklyn Nets, man, I don't think they have the front court depth to be able to contend. You know, no, Jared. People were saying that Paul Millsap and Blake Griffin were going to be a big part of their lineup. You're not winning games in the Eastern Conference playoffs with Paul Millsap and Blake Griffin. As Millsap's old, and, and Blake Griffin's athleticism has been completely sapped. If you're talking about, you know, prime LA Clippers first year in Detroit, Blake Griffin, yeah, they've got plenty, but. Uh, I thought that was also always going to be an issue when you traded away Jared uh, Allen that you don't really have anybody in the front court to kind of be that that bruiser to 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 be that young energetic guy that you need. Yeah, and, and the so, young energetic guy that complements Harden's game so well, man. You know, I don't know if relying on a 36 year old Lamarcus Aldridge who hasn't played basketball in a year and a half for heavy minutes in the playoffs as your lone front court guy is going to get it done, even despite having guys like Kevin Durant and James Harden. Now, Kyrie Irving joins the mix, and that's a completely different story. I take back everything I say, and they're my favorites in the East because the talent level of three perimeter guys like that I think overcomes anything. But as it stands right now, man, I I really don't have the Nets as the final team standing in the East. No, uh, I agree with you. Even if Kyrie comes back, I, I don't know how much the team is going to trust him just because of what he's done in his past. And, you know, as much as you want to say that someone can practice and stay game ready, man, it's still doing simulated games is not the same at playing at a peak level. And he's going to be so rusty. I mean, you saw what Jordan did whenever he, he came back and Kyrie Irving isn't even five tiers within a realm of touching Jordan. So to think that Kyrie can come back and, you know, really be the, the change that they need, I, I'm pretty hesitant on. I, I think that for for book Brooklyn to do something, you uh you honestly gotta trade Kyrie. I think you you could trade Kyrie uh and get back um Ben Simmons and <laughs> Ben Simmons is is like the podcast Thanos, right? Like no matter what happens in the MCU, it always leads back to Thanos. Uh, you tried to run from me, and, and where did you end up? Back here. It's like it always ends up back in, in Ben Simmons some, somehow. Yeah. And I think Simmons would be perfect because he's big enough to play a, a front court role, and he gives the he has the ball handling talent to you know get KD space. I, I think that that would work. That you would you play Ben Simmons if he's willing to do it. If he's willing to take the Magic Johnson route. What was it? Was it Game Four? Uh, in the finals that year that he just played center the whole game uh, and he dominated uh, out of the post. And I think that's what Ben Simmons can be. I think if Ben Simmons would embrace himself as like a, 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 a Pau Gasol or a Vlade Divac, dude, he could really open up that Brooklyn offense. Yeah. And they finally get some the pro- defensive presence that they've been lacking as well. So yeah, there I, you go, Nets. We'll see what happens. It all it all kind of hangs on the balance of what Kyrie decides to do with his philosophy. Uh, give me a hot take on the Boston Celtics, man. This is a team you wanted to talk about. Oh, man. Uh, it, it, this is definitely going to be a hot take. I'm going to get criticized for it. But uh, 
they need to blow it up, and I think you blow it up by trading Jalen Brown. Uh, uh, sorry, keeping Jalen Brown and trading Jason Tatum. Uh, I that's definitely going to go against what most people say, but the Boston Celtics just look different on the court when you've got Jalen Brown and Tatum sitting versus when you've got Tatum and Brown sitting. Uh, it, it looks like the reports are true that Tatum has no interest in being a teammate. He is out there to get as many, many shots off as he can. Like he's, he's trying to impress a, at Rucker park, except, you know, all those guys at Rucker park, it is obvious that they're the best on the court and heads and shoulders above everyone else where that's not the NBA goal attempts a game 20 he shoots 22 times and barely cracks 40% from the field. That's nuts. I mean, and he plays no defense at all. He is a complete liability while Jalen Brown plays all NBA level defense. I mean, I I see it. And this is another thing that probably is going to get some backlash, but to me, Jalen Brown can be uh, Kawhi Leonard. Jason Tatum is just a bigger version of Jamal Crawford. He is out there hunting solely for his shot to create as many highlights as he possibly can. And that's about all he's going to give you. Nabil and I have talked so much about this Celtics team as just being a disappointment, right? Like they're so talented. You're talking about two guys in the top 20 in the NBA. Like you've got two guys dropping over 23 points a game and with how young they are. And you've got Schroeder, Al Horford, a resurgent Al Horford, and they just look mediocre. Yeah, I mean, this is every kid's dream on NBA 2K is to start a franchise with two six foot seven plus guys, both under 25, both locked up for your team. You know, Jalen Brown's 25, Tatum's just 23, and they just haven't been able to make it work, man. And a big part of that is because of Jason Tatum and his lack of taking the next step that everyone really expected him to take since that sophomore season that he had. And he just hasn't taken it. And this year, he's looked like the worst version of himself, man. Like I said, barely 40% from the field, uh, 32% three-point shooter on nearly nine attempts a game. Like, what what kind of shit? His shot selection, his moments of passiveness, his moments of disinterest, like you mentioned. He's a hard player to figure out right now for me. But if I'm the Celtics, I stay put, man. It's not very often you get two guys, two young guys with the talent level that these two have. And I've been on record saying, man, Jalen Brown is the typical Daryl Morey get where a GM snatches him away from the Celtics, focuses an absurd amount of usage and offensive structure around him and just turns him into a generational talent. I think he's waiting to pop on the scene, man. I think he is. I really think he's, he's Kawhi. He's got the potential to be Kawhi. Uh, you know, I, I think that this he'd be another person on the 76ers. He's a, to me, he's a better version of Jimmy Butler. He shoots the three better. Uh, he's not as abrasive of a teammate, which I appreciate on Butler. There are certain teams that need it, but certain other teams, he was definitely not the lead dog in Philly, and that was a problem. It's Embiid's team, and you got to be able to realize that. And I think Brown would be – willing to realize that and he would be the perfect you know I think to me he could be a Grant Hill like prime Grant Hill on that team that's, that's high praise prime I Grant Hill was a bad motherfucker 
Yeah, he was. Detroit Pistons, Grand Hill? Goddamn. I think that Jalen Brown could be that. I I think he's a guy that could honestly be a 26-and-a-half, 7-and-a-half, 5-and-a-half with uh, one-and-a-half steals, maybe a a block-and-a-half a a game. Like, he's he's got it. And that's what I think separates himself from from Tatum is you're not going to see any defensive effort from Tatum. He he wants to be Kobe, but he's mellow light. Like I wouldn't even say that he's he's as good as as Prime Mellow was, or has the ability to be that. He just I don't know. And we I've forget really... we forget that Team USA blunder, the worst Olympic Team USA that we've ever seen, um, or not Olympic Team USA when they like really flamed out. Was that a FIBA Team USA team? I think that was a FIBA team. Jason Tatum was one of the best guys on that team, right? Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, a few other guys there. Jason Tatum was the face of that team, and a lot of the failures fell on his shoulders. And I think we're seeing that, you know, his lack of an ability to be a leader, to be a teammate, like you mentioned, it's taking its toll on a Celtics team that doesn't have a lot of fit either. Dennis Schroeder's putting up numbers, but I don't think he's going to be the starting point guard of a championship team anytime soon. They're for the... lacking. I just, I don't know, man. Boston, what's going to happen this year? Who knows? Uh, Al Horford, at least, is giving them some good production. He's having a little resurgence of a season for himself, but this isn't a team that I think anyone has flipping the switch halfway through the season and turning into a contender. Yeah, they're the Lakers of the East, but they don't have the talent that the Lakers do inherently. Like, they're talented, but they don't have – the second greatest player of all time on their team. They don't have a guy that still somehow hasn't reached his ceiling as a power forward and it may not, but if he ever does, could go down as a top three power forward of all time. I, I mean, they've in, in Westbrook, you're talking about, even though he's still, he's declined way more than people want to say, you know, Westbrook is still maybe the greatest athlete like if you're talking about overall athleticism, removing knowledge of the game that uh, the NBA is seeing. <laughs> because if you're talking about – Yeah, I agree. He's, he's a, his, he has no knowledge. He is terrible, and that's why it shows like his stats. Let's, let's talk about Russell's stats right now because uh, I've wanted to bring this up. So he's averaging 20.5 points a game, 8.5 rebounds, a little over eight and a half assists per games. Uh, guess what his PER is? 18. 16.8. He's Jesus. got, he's worth one win share this season. Like it, with those numbers, his PER should be sitting somewhere around like a 24 and a half. Like that just shows he's got no knowledge to pass along with those numbers. And those numbers are hollow. And yeah. So, but that's, that's the thing is the Celtics don't even have somebody to be a Westbrook. I mean, he and Schroeder aren't even in the same, same category. Yeah. So we shit on the Celtics. We said, we don't think the Nets are true contenders. Well, they are contenders, but they're not our favorites without Kyrie. So like who's left in the East, man, we have the Bucks, the defending champs. They've been a little bit of a disappointment. We've got the heat who I said before the season, were the most likely team to upend the Nets outside of Milwaukee. And then the Bulls, who started off like everyone thought the best team in the East and have really cooled down and had a really, really, really bad loss to the two and 
13 at the time, Houston Rockets. So tell me about these other teams, man. Like what's going on in the East? Who's, who's actually going to come out of the pack here? Uh, I, I think you got to go with the Bucks because of Giannis. Like he, he's just that good that he can single-handedly elevate a team and they've got the pieces. I mean, Brooke Lopez is injured. Uh, they've got Middleton who's played like shit so far. Um, you know, Drew hasn't played up to his level. And, you know, I, I think that this is a team now that they just signed it. I love me some Boogie Cousins. And if Boogie has actually been diligent and re, he's full on his rehab and he stayed conditioned, you know, I think Boogie can be like a surprisingly 12 and 8 guy off the bench on this team. You know, he, he's still boogie i i mean you're talking about a guy that was for a span a top two big man in the league and those the his game still can reminisce there but it's not going to be as often and with the talent on this team i think boogie can be impactful and take them to the next level as well as once the guys get healthy um i i don't know about the heat uh i think travis hero is going to shoot them out of any big game because of his ego. Um, oh, Tyler, Tyler heroes look like the six man of the year bar none. I mean, he's looked good, but the dude doesn't know when to stop shooting. Like the, he he's got that shooter's mindset like Tatum, but he doesn't understand that he's not, he's not to that point to where it's like, all right, shooters keep shooting in even though you're one for 15. You know, yeah, he's, he's not he's not a star level player yet. I'll give you that. The uh, numbers it, he put up this year have been extremely impressive, and maybe he does become a star player somewhere down the line. He's still young. He's only twenty. He's twenty one, twenty two years old. Um, but you know, talent wins in the league, and I just Miami. They're talented, but I, I don't. I, I think Jimmy Jimmy Butler's having a fantastic year, and he will continue to be. But uh, the thing that I don't like about him is I think Kai. Uh, Kyle Lowry is actually um, an impediment on this team. And that was something I thought even before they signed him because he doesn't do anything different than Goran Dragic, uh, but he's going to want to handle the ball more, which is really well, the, kind the, of theory, the theory is he'll be available, which Goran Dragic was not. That's true. Um, but what he's done is he's taken the ball out of Bam's hand and it has really impacted how that team runs. I mean, Bam was Bam was one of the best passing big men in the league, if not the best passing big man. And he's down to. Oh, are you going to put some respect on Nikola Jokic's name, or are you just going to throw that in there? Uh, he, to me, uh, Jokic is a unicorn. He's he's not a big man. He's he's just Jokic. Uh, like he's he's he is the unicorn. Uh, but like you're looking at Bam, a guy that went, you know, back to back seasons with five and then five and a half assists. He's down all the way to three. Uh, and he, he doesn't look like the same player. His efficiency is, is way down. Um, and it, their, their offense just seems to stall out a little bit more because Bam knows the offense better than Lowry does. And so their, their cuts and their ball movement would look better with Bam being the, uh, handling the ball. Um, so I, I don't know. Maybe they get that right and they move through the season and they start moving the ball back through Pam. 
Um, but for now, I just don't know with, with having him just kind of be that, that paint guy, that that's really what, what makes them a better team. Uh, and then for the Bulls, it was fun watching them start off, but that team just has I, – I get it. You've got Lonzo and you've got Caruso on defense, but that just doesn't make up for how deficient uh, Zach Levine, uh, DeMar DeRozan, and uh, uh, the center Vuce. Vucevic are. I mean, you, you can't leave it all on two wings. They're just not big enough to, to handle it all. You at least have to have one strong wing and then – uh, a strong power forward or a strong center, and they don't have that. And it showed whenever they've played big men. Yeah, the defensive concerns are there. You know, Lonzo's an elite defender, sure, but they really don't have any other defensive pieces that you can consider, you know, high-end elite talent. So I mean, Caruso's Chicago's- hustle, but he's he's not – he's still not someone I would say is an elite talent defensively. Yeah, I still have Chicago. I've got Chicago coming out of the East, man. I am so – before the season, I was so high on them. I'm still so high on them. I think a team that has a bunch of guys that are looking to prove something is a very dangerous thing in today's NBA where guys load manage and take so much time off. Think about every guy on this Bulls team, every key piece. DeMar DeRozan. Gets traded from Toronto, they win a ring. That's been the mar on his entire career. He's never going to be a guy that can lead you to a championship. DeMar DeRozan, low-key, is looking like a top-five MVP candidate this year. Zach Levine, everyone always said he's an empty stats guy. Look at his entire time in Chicago. They never win anything despite him putting up numbers. Well, now he's got talent around him, and he's trying to make a name. Vucevic, overpaid 2010 center, a relic of the past. He's putting up numbers – you know, a key piece of the Chicago offense, Lonzo Ball. There was the questions for him in L.A. all that time. And Caruso, white guy playing in the NBA, Aggieland. All these guys have a chip <laughs> have a chip on their shoulder. And for when you put them all together at a point where they're all in their prime and they're all at an elite level, the most elite level of their game, I think it's dangerous, man. And I think Chicago, of all the teams we've mentioned, all the blemishes we mentioned – I think theirs is the most fixable and theirs is the easiest to carry through to a playoff series in terms of success. I don't know. I'd, I'd still have to, to go with the Bucks just because I, the Bucks have the defense there. I mean, I'll still never understand why you have the best defensive player in the league in Giannis and you hide him, but you've got talented defenders in Middleton and Holiday as well. Uh, where the Bulls, I, I mean, you just – you don't have anyone that can really guard a big. You know, and we've seen DeMar DeRozan play at an all-NBA level, and we saw how that worked in Toronto, and he had a ton of talent around him there. Uh, I think I mean, my biggest thing is just I'm not putting too much – I'm not putting too much stock into the importance of guarding the center position in today's structure during a playoff series. Uh, I don't know, man. I think you're you're going to start seeing uh, the NBA kind of move back a, a little bit towards you know your your post up big man back to the basket being somewhat important because nowadays they're on the right team. If you've got a good enough big man uh, who can play back to the basket, you can get a lot of easy buckets. You know, and it's a shot that people really aren't contending. Um, 
and so I think you may see somewhat of a, a transition back to that. Yeah, we'll still continue to see this, you know, positionless NBA, but a, a big back to the basket guy, when you're worried about a three point shot, you know, if, if the three point shot is going to fall, say what's NBA average 36% of the time. Yeah. But you get, you know, a 75% chance to make two back to back, you know, easy dunks that may start playing into some, uh, some GM's logic. So I, I don't think that it's, it's dead, which is why I think you're seeing someone like Vooch play well, uh, that you're seeing uh, Valanchunas play well in New Orleans um, is because those shots are starting to become more available and teams are realizing slowly. Yeah, and basketball's always had this tendency to go back and forth between styles of plays through different eras. So I could very well see the resurgence of the center position in basketball. And we're kind of seeing it as is right now, right? You know, the Rockets, as a team we're going to get on in a little bit, have this young Turkish man by the name of Al P. Shengun, whose game is primarily based out of the post and behind the back. So we can only hope that the game reverts back to that style. And, you know, the Bucks, they're my other pick out East. I know they haven't started like everyone wished they would 12 and eight to start the season. But for me, Bulls are Bucks. Those are my two. And if Kyrie comes back, that changes everything. But this is my one-fifth of the season prediction. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I just don't think that the Bulls could withstand uh, a Giannis barreling into the paint. They just don't have anybody that can stop that. That, that would be their nightmare matchup. Yeah, if they can avoid the Bucks out east, I think they have a, a good shot to come or out. Or even, I mean, Kevin Durant uh, kind of a la some of the games with the Warriors, you know, when he just said, screw it, y'all are going to go small. All right, I'm going to go play down in the post and you can't stop me. Yeah, Durant is, I mean, there's few things anyone can do to stop him. So you're right about that. So I'm, I apologize to anyone who's wondering why we didn't talk about like the Nuggets or the Jazz or the Sixers or other teams like that. We just don't have time. Um, this was a lot to unpackage and we still have to talk about the Rockets. So, Kale, give me your Rockets impressions and I'll tell you why they're wrong and why mines are correct. Um, I, I think they uh... – they're a, a spiraling franchise at the moment. They have really no veteran leadership. Um, I get it. You're going towards a youth movement, but has have been shown kind of throughout history. You still need some veteran leaders um, because I, I wouldn't really say that Christian Wood is a, a veteran yet. I mean, he's one of the older guys on the team at 26. Um but you're looking at what he did in Detroit and then what he did last year with health and healthy with the Rockets. And then you take wall away and, and you put in this youth movement and you've, uh, you've damaged kind of the team because Kevin Porter jr. Is act thinking that he's Westbrook and uh, having in a turnover to assist ratio that I think is on par with who was it? Deandre Bembry that was struggling to break a one with the Hawks and was just derided for it for so long. Um, Jalen Green's young. I get it. So I can't really judge him, but uh, I mean, he's just, he's looking all athleticism. There's, there's not really much of a shot there. And then it's just. <laughs> Go ahead. It's, continue. 
I don't know. It's they just kind of look lost, and it, you need to either em, fully embrace the youth movement in Trade Wall and Christian Wood, or bring uh, bring Wall back and let a veteran lead and teach the guys how to grow. Because I, I mean, you just it, it's been shown throughout. You can, just can't have a young team and no veterans and expect them to mature into something. They have to have someone there to show them how to analyze the the speed that the NBA moves at. I fully agree. There's so many things we need to like just one by one pick off. This isn't going to become a Rockets podcast, but I'll try to keep it as brief as I can. It's and an issue that you're going to have also is, you know, Houston is just not a free agent destination. It's it's not a New York. It's not a Los Angeles. Uh, it's it's not even a Denver where they're so many other things to kind of go out and do other than go visit the Colorado and uh, help uh, bring back all those uh, prep school funds that uh, James Harden wrongfully took away of all those hard working Houston strippers. Um, They, they just, I don't know. I, I don't know that there's a lot of hope going forward for the Rockets. Well, I do know. So let me tell you what the truth about the Houston Rockets is. All right. This is what you need to understand. And this is as honest a conversation as a Rockets insider will have with you. So All right, learn me some knowledge. The biggest frustration in Houston is something you actually touched on, which is, you know, do they fully embrace the rebuild or not? And everyone expected this team to be bad this year, but they didn't expect them to be this bad and doing it in the fashion that they did, right? Giving heavy minutes to Daniel Tice, uh, throwing rotations out that featured Daniel House, a relic of the old Harden Rockets, still giving minutes to Eric Gordon until we can find a trade suitor for him and having 40 million of your salary cap just sitting away in practice in John Wall. They expected this team to be bad, though. You know, nobody expected Kevin Porter Jr., a guy with barely 70 games of professional-level basketball experience and half a season at San Diego in college to learn a new position and to show himself to be the future of this team. He certainly showed spurs, and he's starting to show signs, especially in that Bulls win and the other win that they had against uh, Charlotte. It's going to take time. Jalen Green, uh, you saying he's all athleticism and no shot. The guy's 19 putting up threes against professional levels for the first time in his life. Cade Cunningham's shooting like 19% from three right now. And none of the rookies look like they're running away with rookie of the year. This is a, this is a rookie class that's very young and very high on upside, low on floor. And it's going to take a while uh, for them to actually put it together. Jalen Green, give him some time. Uh, I still think he's going to be a leading scorer in the NBA one day, but it's going to take time for him to put it all together because the build, uh, his physical build still needs to mature a little bit for the style of play that he has. Well, you've got to be able to. I'm I'm ready for the Christian Wood experiment to be done, man. I think he's on a bargain contract at $12 a year. Let's not forget, though, when Christian Wood signed with the Houston Rockets, he was signing to come here and play with Russell Westbrook and James Harden. I don't know if necessarily Christian Wood wants to be a part of a rebuild, and we've seen disinterest from him in spurts during this season as well. Well, I mean, yeah, you, you see it, and you see the numbers. I mean, this guy, this is a guy that was sitting, you know, 22, 23 on PER this year. He's barely sitting in, in the 16s. It's just 
it's a different team. They don't really have a lot of direction. I don't know that Jalen Green is going to be able to evolve into as high as a, a ceiling as you think he has, just because there's not enough talent around him. I don't know that Houston has the coaching staff to be able to um, elect all of the talent out of him that he has. Um uh, because, you know, you can still have all the talent in the world, but I don't know that Steph Curry would have become Steph Curry as a, if it wasn't for the uh, the later years of the Mark J- Jackson uh, tenure and then moving into to Steve Kerr, that you had coaches with a plan as to what they wanted to create as a team. And Houston, I don't think Houston has any plan at all. It's just, okay, young guys, go, go play hoops. And – you know, suck. So I think get us. I think Stephen Silas is a great, great point of contention among Houston fans. Right? There's a lot of Houston fans that don't agree with what he's done. They don't agree with the lineups. I don't know if it's necessarily in his hands. It might be Stone behind the scenes. We know from Rockets insiders that Stone is is a hoop head and he loves to have his hand in everything that the team does. Um, but here's the plan, Kale. The plan is you drafted four 19-year-olds this year. You're still trying to shed salary off of years of contention in the West during the peak of the Warriors dynasty. Um, And now you own your draft capital for the next four to six years. And you just need to suck long enough to bring in homegrown talent. And so I think the, the plan is to tank and let these young guys develop. And we're starting to see signs of it in KPJ showing showing signs of being a point guard in Jalen green, putting his scoring package together in KJ yeah. Martin jr. Actually looking like a competent NBA role player. And I think the most underrated rookie of this rookie class, the 16th pick of the year, Alperin Shingun, looking like a future starting center in the NBA. So I would say, wait and see what they do with these salaries. Let's see what happens with John wall. You know, you've read the reports. I'm sure that now he wants to come back and start playing basketball again for this team. And what, what's that going to do to stunt the development of guys like KPJ and Jalen green. That's a concern for Rockets fans. We'll see. Man. There's a lot of question marks still to kind of get into the next phase of the rebuild. I don't know that it, it, it'll do as much because you can bring wall as a second unit. I mean, you can still run, you can still run him out there and, for 28, 30 minutes a game and, that's, and that's run Jalen Green. He wants to be the guy. He like he has said he wants to be the man. Well, and I mean, I don't know that KPJ can really become that. I mean, he wasn't that great in college. He was a, a late-round draft pick. He's got a lot of concerns with his attitude and work ethic. And, I mean, you just don't see great players start off their career with single-digit PERs. That, that just doesn't really happen, you know? Yeah, we don't, we don't know, but I think that's the point of this season is let's figure it out, right? He's a low-risk, low high-reward guy. We gave up a top 55 protected pick for him. Let's see what happens. Put the ball in his yeah. hand. Let's see if we've got something here. It's just trust to say, believe much of anybody that the Cleveland Cavaliers are willing to give up on in a bad Cleveland Cavaliers team, too. Yeah, the only salvageable part of that equation is that the Cleveland Cavaliers are a bad organization and they've given up on guys before and they've brought in guys, the worst number one pick in the history of this decade of drafting Anthony Bennett. So I wouldn't put much stock into their decision making. That is true, but that that was a bad draft. They they were signing for cap space there and that was 
that was just bad. Yeah. And there you go, man. That's that's it. I'm done. I'm done talking about basketball. The Houston Rockets, I, I, I was happy when we started this, and we're back at square one talking about a rebuild. Bro, this was fun, man. I think we went like an hour, 20 minutes plus on this. I don't have a timer on it, but this feels like – it feels like we ran through everything because it was so fun. But this is pretty much parody in the NBA. We talked about some of the best teams. We talked about the worst team. And we talked about teams that we thought would be – somewhere in between that we're still trying to figure out out West and East. Kelly, you have any closing thoughts, man? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. It, this has just been such a year of parody. It's, it's really hard to say. I, I want to believe that my warriors are going to make it back to the finals. Uh, I, the West just has a gauntlet of talent that's underperforming uh, at the moment, I think. And, that can really pose a problem. And then, you know, you've got if if the Nets or Bucks start clicking in the East, I, I don't really even think that's a uh, – it's a question as to which one of those really, really comes out of there. I mean, the only thing that I really – closing thoughts are is uh, the Sixer – Daryl Morey is ruining his reputation by willingly throwing away – a year, if not more years of prime Embiid. I mean, you've got a generational talent at, at his position that I don't know too many guys that could do what he can do at his size. And you're willingly just throwing it away because you just won't make a trade. That's give me, a, give me a final, give me your finals prediction right now. Uh, I'm gonna go warriors bucks. I like it. I, I don't I just don't think that Harden is able to really turn that corner and it, it's gonna come back to bite him. I th- I think you may see some of the uh the Houston Rocket playoff failures uh with Harden this year. I, I think that's that's a good chance. Uh and then I think when if it gets to the finals, I think the Bucks end up winning. They just as much as I love the Warriors and the talent that we have, the Bucks just have such a size advantage and they can shoot threes with that size that it's that's that's a tough one to defend against because Clay's not gonna be be healthy enough to really, I think this year get back to all defensive clay. Jordan Poole is is a liability and you know, even even Steph with his improved defense, he's just not big enough to really, you know affect anybody on the defensive side. I think, I think Drew is, uh, Drew still would be able to kind of boss him around at his size. Agreed. I got Bucks Warriors in the finals. Um, I got Bucks in six. We'll see, man. We'll see what Clint looks like when he comes back. That could change everything. And if Kyrie comes back, the next, the Nets are my finals pick. Uh, I would love to give that man, but I just, I think Kyrie would find another reason to sit out the season. And I just, I don't think he's going to come back crisp. I mean, you look at Jordan whenever he came back from from baseball and, you know, you're, you're talking about one of the greatest athletes of all time, just period. And he still only came back to, to drop, what, 25 points a game? Yeah, the difference is Clay's not going to be asked to be the number one guy when he comes back. He might not even be the number two guy, like you mentioned, with how Jordan Poole's looking. So oh. we'll see. Yeah, with Clay, but with Kyrie, I just don't think that Kyrie can give them the the oh, yeah. shooting that you need. I just I think that's going to be tough, and the Bucks are just hurt. But 
uh, you know, anything can change in the finals. I mean, Budenholzer might be like, you know what, we're going to put, uh, we're going to put Giannis on Kevon Looney and then Steph goes off for like 45 points. We'll see. We'll see what happens. All right, brother. It's been fun. It's been real. Hasn't been real fun. As always, we say bye. Bye.